Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Keeping Promises. It's a guest essay by Don Thorson, professor of theology at Azusa Pacific University, and is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, June 18, 2006. When I was a child, I could always count on my parents to keep their promises. They didn't always make promises, of course, but when promises were made, I could count on my mom and dad to be true to their words. One Sunday morning, my dad promised to play catch with me after church. But before church started, I answered the telephone, which I was not supposed to do on Sunday mornings. You see, my dad was the owner of a plumbing business, and he often received calls for plumbing emergencies at home. Since he didn't want church disrupted, he didn't want us to answer the phone on Sunday mornings. I probably answered the phone by mistake, since I was, after all, only a kid. But because there was a plumbing emergency, my dad then felt obliged to go out, and his work took up much of that day. When he finally came home, I asked if he wanted to play catch, as I thought he had promised. But he said he couldn't, because I had answered the phone that morning, and he was no longer free to play. I've often thought it odd that I should remember that little event for so long. I could say, of course, that it was unfair of my dad to blame me, just a kid, for answering the phone. Maybe it was unjust. Maybe it wasn't. However, that's not the point of my story. I never held it against my dad because, frankly, I can't remember another incident throughout my childhood or even adulthood when my father broke a promise. In fact, now that I have children of my own, I can easily understand how life circumstances sometimes get in the way of fulfilling promises to them. There have actually been times when I, as a parent, have wept over not being able to keep the simplest of promises to my own children. When you love your children, you want to do all you can to keep your promises, even the seemingly least important or hastily made ones. Although circumstances beyond our control may get in the way, we need to be as responsible as we can with God's grace in keeping our promises because God, as well as others, are counting on us to be true to our words. Scripture tells us much about the importance and blessings of keeping promises. First are covenantal promises. In Scripture, God made promises, and, so far as we know, God has always kept them. In Exodus chapter 24, verses 3 to 8, we read about the covenant that God made with the people of Israel. Moses mediated the covenant between God and them. After the Israelites accepted the covenant, Moses sprinkled blood on them. The ritual represents the ancient view that blood was efficacious in establishing community between God and the Israelites. The people of Israel believed in the steadfast love of God and keeping covenantal promises made to them. Psalm 116 from the lectionary for this week represents a thanksgiving for healing, particularly for divine healing. In gratitude to God, the psalmist asks what should be done. 
and he responds, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Psalm 116, verse 14. Keeping vows or promises to God and to others is the proper response to the loving steadfastness of God in graciously meeting our needs spiritually as well as in other ways. Secondly, we can speak of new covenantal promises. God's covenant relationship with people continued and was renewed through the establishment of a new covenant with all people. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is depicted as both the mediator and the sacrificial victim on behalf of people. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 15 in the lectionary for this week. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus made a blood offering incomparably superior to the sacrifices of old. In doing so, he inaugurated a new covenantal relationship between God and all people. By grace through faith, we may be redeemed for eternal life and renewed in the image of God. Jesus, of course, instituted a new ritual representative of how his blood continues to be efficacious in establishing community between God and people. In the Gospel of Mark for this week, chapter 14, verses 22 to 26, we read how Jesus blessed and gave thanks for the bread and the wine. He said, Take, this is my body. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. In churches today, we continue this ritualistic remembrance of the divine promises of salvation and empowerment for Christian living. Like the psalmist asked, what should be our response? This leads us to promise keepers. The responses Christians most often give to the graciousness of God are those of faith, hope, and love. Christians have faith and hope in God, and they also love God. Loving God implies loving others. Loving others implies keeping promises we make to them as well as to God. It also involves keeping promises we make to ourselves, since we're to love others as we love ourselves. We don't love others well if we don't love ourselves as God wants us to. Keeping the promise of loving others may be one of the most important as well as satisfying ways of responding to all that God has done for us. Loving others, of course, involves more than loving individuals around us. It involves loving an expanding number of neighbors locally, nationally, and even internationally. God does not want our love to be limited. Christians are to be concerned about people's spiritual well-being. They are also to be concerned with their health, social, economic, and even their political well-being. This is a complex feat and not easily accomplished. Yet, just as God keeps promises that are far-reaching, Christians need to be far-reaching in keeping promises to love their neighbors. They should love just as they would like to be loved in the fullness of God's intended blessings for them 
and the environment in which they live. Are there promises you've made that you have not kept? Perhaps to God, yourself, others, society, or even the environment? Now, I don't want to advocate legalism. Not all promises are of the same importance. I myself break many promises for which I do not need to make amends. But there are promises I need to take more seriously in terms of loving as I should. By the grace of God, we need to be courageous in keeping our promises just as God keeps his promises to us. And now for further reflection. What has been your experience of promise making and promise keeping with God, with your own self or with others? What are the consequences of making, breaking, or keeping promises? Consider what a friend of mine once said about his marriage promise. He said, I'm not a quitter. And finally, are there promises that you need to renew? Guest essay by Don Thorson, professor of theology at Azusa Pacific University. Keeping promises. For our book review this week, I review Night Draws Near, Iraq's People in the Shadow of America's War by Anthony Shadid. New York, Henry Holt and Company, 2005, 424 pages. Among the proliferation of books about America's preemptive war in Iraq, Anthony Shadid's distinguishes itself for its singular focus. His narrative contains virtually no mention at all of neoconservative ideologues, liberal cant, analyses by think tank experts, disputed claims about the war's rationale, or even the main architects of the war, like Rumsfeld, Cheney, Wolfowitz, or Fife. Instead, he reports firsthand from the Arab street about who and what really matters, which is to say, he lets everyday Iraqi citizens tell their own stories. In these pages, we meet the caretaker of a mosque who washes the body of a 14-year-old boy, a bookstore owner, suicide bombers, a 14-year-old girl who keeps a diary during the war, extremist clerics, a father who was forced to murder his son because he had served as an American informant, a mother who vomits upon identifying the mutilated corpse of her son at the morgue, parents who stuff cotton into the ears of their children at night because the bombs are so loud, and a pregnant woman who was denied admission to an Iraqi hospital because they are all full. Shadid depicts the humiliations of soldiers searching your house in the middle of the night, the terror of bomb blasts that rip open refrigerator doors, waiting in line at the Red Cross for five hours to make a three-minute phone call, and the very deep resentments 
but also the remarkable resilience of people who suffer a war they did not want and that, not, that was not necessary. For Shadid, the intensely personal thus reveals the deeply political. Shadid, an Arab-American who grew up in Oklahoma, is a reporter for the Washington Post, fluent in Arabic, and the winner of the Pulitzer Prize in 2004 for international reporting. His book, Night Draws Near, spans the period from October 2002, five months before the invasion, when Saddam Hussein granted a general amnesty that released tens if not hundreds of thousands of Iraqi prisoners, to January 2005 in Iraq's first free elections in four decades. Shadid was only was one of only 300 or so reporters who were not embedded in the U.S. military. He organizes his book into five sections, Before the War, The Invasion, The Aftermath, The Occupation, and The Insurgency. Wrong beginnings lead to wrong ends, according to an Arab proverb. Shadid laments the tragic consequences of America's simplistic misunderstandings of a complex people, their history, and their culture. Even today, much of our public discourse barely moves beyond contrasting so-called free democracy and totalitarian dictatorship. The war, as Shadid reports from the trenches, unleashed a maelstrom of unintended consequences most of which politicians, experts, and everyday people did not predict, and even today barely understand. Most Iraqis, he says, simply cannot conceive how the most powerful nation on earth bungled a war so badly. So great is this incomprehension that they often resort to conspiracy theories. Perhaps the Americans did not want to stop the looting. Perhaps they did not want to restore electricity in Baghdad. In two different places, Shadid renders the sum and substance of his conclusions about the Iraq war. Quote, the terrible reminder of the inevitable disparity between war's grand aims and the reality of their execution. Anthony Shadid, Night Draws Near. For film this week, I review The Squid and the Whale from 2005. The title of this film, The Squid and the Whale, refers to the single positive memory that the teenager Walt could convey to his school psychologist about a time when he and his mother visited New York's Natural History Museum. Walt's parent, parents, Bernard and Joan, are both writer snobs a trait that does not serve their family well after they separate, especially because Joan's career flourishes while Bernard's tanks. After, after a family meeting when they tell Walt and his younger brother Frank that they are separating, the film tracks how everyone takes sides, plays favorites, blames, and manipulates. Fear and insecurity stalk everyone. Whose night is it to take the cat? Joint custody is hell. It's her obligation to pay the tennis instructor. Walt and Frank do poorly in school. They drink too much. 
run away, experiment sexually as ways to act out. Bernard, an insufferable and self-absorbed egoist, has a fling with one of his college students, while Joan sleeps with the tennis instructor. The squid and the whale won numerous awards, but I thought it had an ambiguous and unsatisfying ending, like those of many families deconstructed by failed marriages. The Squid and the Whale, from the year 2005. For poetry this week, we've posted the poem entitled Politics by William Butler Yeats, who lived from 1865 to 1939. He prefaces the poem with a quotation from Thomas Mann. In our time, the destiny of man presents its meaning in political terms. William Butler Yeats, Politics. How can I, that girl standing there, my attention fix on Roman or on Russian or on Spanish politics? Yet here's a traveled man that knows what he talks about, and there's a politician that has both read and thought, and maybe what they say is true of war and war's alarms. But oh, that I were young again, and held her in my arms. Politics by William Butler Yeats. Thank you for joining journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, June the 18th, 2006. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.